This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. After an argument at a restaurant, a young mother and her ex-boyfriend parted ways. Hours later, she would drive to his building, though. What happened after is still a mystery that needs to be solved. This is the Prisma Peralta Reyes story. Amy. Hey, Megan. Amy, this case is one that I've been working on for a long time. It has not received, in my opinion, nearly enough attention. So today I'm asking everyone to listen closely. Please share the stories with others. Post about it. Spread the word. It's a mystery and this family needs help. How'd you hear about it? I'm glad you asked. I was listening to a podcast about a missing young mother by the name of Lauren DeMolo in Florida. Have you ever heard of her case? No. Okay. I was really, really interested in that case. And again, why hadn't I heard of it? But it also led me to a People article featuring seven missing moms. And Prisma was one of them. So that's how I discovered her. Mm -hmm. Why I connected more with Prisma than, let's say, the other ones, I I can't explain. I just did. And I became interested. And as I was doing my research, I reached out to a few people involved in searching for Prisma. And her stepfather, Dan Fuchs, was willing to speak with us for this podcast in hopes of helping to publicize Prisma's case. So this episode, I'm going to do things a little differently. We are going to weave in uh, our interview with Dan as we tell Prisma's story so that he can kind of lend a voice and and fill in areas where, you know, we we didn't know as much. Kind of like direct appeal style. Mm -hmm. Okay. Prisma Denise Peralta Reyes was born in Veracruz, Mexico to Lilia Peralta, but her father whose name is unknown, passed away when she was young. And her mother met a man by the name of Dan Fuchs when Prisma was just four years old. And Dan stepped into the role of father very quickly, developing a close relationship with Prisma, who is the oldest of five siblings. Lily and Dan married and moved their family to Mesquite, Texas, where Prisma would obtain her U.S. citizenship. Now, Prisma was an impressive young lady. Let's hear Dan introduce Prisma. She was always, you know, driven, you know, constantly like a bookworm, wanting to, you know, read books or whatnot, stuff like that, and learn. And then as she came over here to the United States, we uh, went to the schools and that, and they wanted to go ahead and push her back a year. And, uh, you know, I sat there and I I argued with the school and I said, look, no, you can't do this to this kid. She's real smart and everything else. So finally, after quite a bit of going back and forth with them, they finally said, okay. We'll put her in this grade that she's coming out of Mexico in because they were saying the schools down there were substandard. So they put her there and she excelled. She picked up a lot more English because when she came here, she only spoke like five words of English. She was speaking better English and they got an invitation to go to a, a magnet type school, which is for science and medicine and math for the extra intelligent kids. So she accepted that that invitation under a scholarship. She attended that until she got into her teenage years which you know young teenagers they want to hang out with their friends and everything and she wanted to I guess kind of hang out with kids at other schools so she transferred over to regular high school and went down there and then her mother and I reconciled and got back together and then I moved them all up here to uh, up here to camp where I live at 
and she went to go to high school. She had two years left and finished it, uh, finished school a year early. So she went and graduated from that, and then she left, moved out of here, moved back to the Rio Grande Valley, which is where where her a lot of her friends were. And then she met her son's dad, and then she ended up getting pregnant. Those two split up, so I went down there and picked her up and brought her back up here. She lived with her mother, and then she put herself through college, graduated that, and then started doing really good as far as being a paralegal and everything. And then she got a wild hair that she wanted to go and join the military. So she went and joined the National Guard and went over and did all that training and everything. So, Amy, you heard there was a lot a lot going on there, a lot of moving. Dan had discussed when he reconciled with Prisma's mother because they did break up. They reconciled, and then they eventually split again. But Dan has always regarded Prisma as his daughter. Um, you know, and I say stepfather, but she's the only father he's ever known. And he acts, you know, as such, advocating on her behalf. So as Dan said, in 2014, Prisma and her boyfriend Arturo found out that they were expecting a child. But their relationship was rocky, and they broke up before the child was born. Nevertheless, the pair had a son named Dominic, and though Arturo was not very involved in raising Dominic when Dominic was young, Prisma was an absolutely devoted mother who adored her son by all accounts. But she also needed help as a single mother, and so Dominic stayed primarily with Prisma's mother for the first few years of his life just for childcare purposes until Prisma was at a place when she could care for Dominic on her own and work full-time. Then in 2016, Prisma began seeing began seeing a man named Ryan. But the same year, the two had a very volatile argument or a big argument that turned physical. The police were called and Prisma reported the assault, though I don't know how serious the assault actually was, and neither did Dan. But Prisma would ultimately wind up not pressing charges and the pair would just split up. Prisma worked at a number of jobs to support her son, as Dan said, she worked as a paralegal. She worked as a driver for Uber and Lyft. And according to Dan and others, she also worked on weekends as an exotic dancer. She was determined to make a good life for her son, and she hustled to do so. But then, inexplicably, in 2019, Prisma began speaking to the ex-boyfriend Ryan, and it seemed that they might actually rekindle their romance after an almost three-year hiatus. This brings us to April 17, 2019. On this day, after Prisma dropped her son off with his regular babysitter, Prisma went to her job. She had just begun this job a few weeks earlier at a car dealership. Again, she has several jobs, but things went sour for Prisma early on in the day. She had an altercation with one of her coworkers over a parking spot that left her in a bad mood. She'd apparently parked in a spot another employee usually parked in, and the coworker gave her a hard time about it, which set a bad tone for the day. But Prisma wasn't also one to back down. I could see how parking spots lead to altercations. I've been in probably some of my own. Prisma made plans to have lunch with Ryan during her lunch break, and the two met at E-Bar Tex-Mex, which was located in downtown Dallas. Things reportedly began just fine, but Prisma and her ex, Ryan, got into a disagreement after she had taken a call from her babysitter. The phone call came through, and then she went, from my understanding was she went out to her Jeep and sat in her Jeep for 45 minutes to an hour talking to the babysitter on the telephone, which was very unlike her by her phone records. Usually their conversations were, you know, maybe three to five minutes, if even, if even that long. You know, they, you know, like say, hey, I'm going to come. I'll be here at this time or I'm leaving right now. I'll see you in this amount of time. Always real short. And what really, really was weird is that 
that length of that conversation that day, and that's what triggered their argument between the two of them. Supposedly, they had talked about what they were going to do for Easter, the kids. I, I don't understand what the, the idea was of that amount of conversation while she was having lunch with him, but he got upset because he thought she was talking to another guy, from what I understand. As I said, I've never spoke to him, and he's never reached out to speak to me. I've reached out to try to speak to him, and he won't He won't talk. So I, I can't say for sure what actually triggered it, but that's what my understanding was. What he had told the police was that was what it was about. He thought she was talking to another man, and they said if they were gonna, he said told them if they were going to get back together that she would have to cut all ties with them, and you know how that kind of stuff goes. So it's odd. I, I thought you know in the middle of a lunch date when you only have a certain amount of time for lunch too that you would go sit in your car and have this long conversation. I'm assuming they say it's the babysitter because of phone records. Mm-hmm, that's correct. And they spoke with the babysitter, and she confirmed it. What did she say they talked about? Easter plans. For 45 minutes. That's really strange. I find this very, very odd. Like something is off about the conversation. Was it something more serious? Mm-hmm. Or maybe was she even annoyed with Ryan before and she was just escaping out? Yeah. You know, either way, I think this is an indicator of something not great. You know, when Ryan left because they got in an argument, uh, Prisma stayed and continued to drink at the bar for approximately three more hours. What? By herself? Yes. How much did she drink? Do you know? Yeah. Um, so I could tell you that it was several drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, she spoke on the phone with a few people who said that she sounded off. She was inebriated and she was asked to leave by the bartender who wouldn't serve her anymore. And she had a disagreement with the bartender. Has she driven there? She had driven there. Yes. Um, Prisma left the restaurant after being asked and appeared to be headed back towards the car dealership, according to like surveillance, mm-hmm. because there was some surveillance that captured her driving in her white Jeep Wrangler. But on the way... Prisna was involved in a road rage incident, having an altercation with three women in another car and reportedly having waved her firearm during this incident. The police were called, and I will tell you that it is still unclear to me and her father what exactly transpired during that incident. All we know is that these women were interviewed. Other witnesses contacted the police who put a bolo on Prisma's vehicle, but Prisma was long gone by that time. Bolo is be on the lookout mm-hmm. for people who don't know. I know you know what it was, um, and most of our listeners probably we do We talked as well. about that in the Maggie Long case. Oh, we did? Okay. Oh, good memory. So Prisma was gone. Where did she go? Well, she didn't go back to work, and she did not pick up her son from the babysitter at 6 p.m. And the babysitter waited a few hours, but then realizing Prisma would have picked up her son or called, she called the police. The Mesquite Police Department, aided by the Dallas PD, began searching for Prisma and informed her family members that they were investigating her possible disappearance. They weren't convinced yet it was a disappearance, but... I'm still hung up on why the bartender let her drive. The bar- How would the bartender know she drove? It's uh, She was a, by herself. It, yeah, but it's, she could have taken a cab. It's the Dallas yeah. restaurant. That yeah. You wouldn't know as a bartender, yeah. okay. you know, that someone drove. Yeah. And she stormed out. Yeah. Um, you know, she did refuse to serve her at a certain mm-hmm. point. But we should all, we, we'll also talk about the theories about her inebriation. Trust mm-hmm. me, there's a lot to dissect here and a lot of theories that we're going to discuss. The police found Prisma's car the next day because it was towed. She had parked it outside the Olympus Ross apartment complex, which is where Ryan lived. Prisma had parked her car across the street from the building in an, kind of an awkward spot. Dan, I think, describes the spot better than I could. Well, the car got towed the next morning. Uh, if you watch in the surveillance video outside the garage, it kind of parks in front of a roadway, which is technically not a roadway. It's access to that property right there which is belongs to the church which is to her right of where she parked at in front of her would be like a two-story six unit maybe eight unit like a a single apartment 
and that also belongs at a church also. It wasn't really a parking spot Mm -hmm. or somewhere like you would park long term or if you were maybe thinking clearly. Mm -hmm. But what Prisma did after she gets out of that, you know, parking spot after she runs into the garage is where the mystery really begins, Amy. And the public didn't have this information right away because police held it for a few months and then revealed surveillance video that showed Prisma running into the gate to the parking garage where Ryan lived. Um, I encourage everyone to look at this video. We're going to include it on our YouTube uh, channel under court evidence. You'll see that she was talking on the phone. She seems intoxicated or under the influence of some type of substance. She was reportedly seen by two residents of the building. The first she got on an elevator with, and this man said that Prisma was crying, but he didn't know why and he couldn't remember what floor she got off. And then there was a second report. Um, let's hear from Dan on this. A friend of mine that runs a private investigation firm down here, he uncovered that, which a detective knew about that, which I do believe. Um, he spoke to her directly. And uh, she says, you know, the prisoner was there kind of crying behind a car, a grayish colored car, with the trunk was open, and she was all, her tears, her eyes were welled up with tears. I, I don't know what, what, was, what was happening then, but the lady said she said something to her. And I guess Prisma, uh, when she said something, uh, maybe the lady kind of took it oddly or misinterpreted what she was saying and then just said, okay, well, then fine. See you later and just walked off. And Amy, that's the last time Prisma was ever seen. It's an odd description. Whose car was she at? No one knows. Nobody knows. You know, just a gray car with the trunk open crying. With no one else around? With no, The woman did not see anyone else around at the time. Do we know who she was talking to on the phone? We do, and I will get to that. We definitely have. We have phone records and, and testimony. Um, when police were arrived on the scene, they discovered that the surveillance cameras were not working at all of the entrances. They never are. I know. I don't understand. So they could see her going in. So that camera was working, but they couldn't find any evidence of Prisma leaving the building by viewing the tapes. Hmm. At least that nobody saw her. Prisma's car didn't show any signs of a struggle or yield any evidence that would help explain what happened. And her firearm was still in her car as well. Remember that firearm that she had bought? And we'll come back to that too. So I believe the police would question the obvious suspect, mm-hmm. Ryan, right. Yeah. right? Prisma just had a fight with him. He lives in this building. She comes to his building. She disappears. But Ryan provided an alibi, stating that he was in another town with friends. And then get this, he had a date. All when Prisma basically was at his complex and supposedly his cell phone records, his friends, everyone backed up his alibi. Receipts, not just people he knows, like receipts and surveillance and stuff? According to Dan, I don't know. I will tell that you this. I did reach out to the um, detective who is handling the case. I have not heard back from him yet, so I can update this if necessary. But um, we don't know if there are receipts. But again, cell phone records and multiple people, not okay. just one. Police felt that it was pretty solid. And at that point, Ryan was in the clear. The police knew that Prisma had made it into the building and they saw her on her phone in that surveillance video when she was standing by the elevator. And that was a 10 minute time frame. Okay, so her phone records, you had asked about those before. Do we know who she's Mm -hmm. on the phone with? Well, they showed that she made a total of nine phone calls during that time. Four of them were to Ryan, who did not appear to have answered her calls. The second person she called was a male friend of hers named Chris, who police were also very interested in speaking with. And they did. Chris stated that Prisma called him a few times. But he said that she was calling him Ryan and he said she seemed confused. She seemed disoriented and she kept asking what apartment number he was in. 
Do you Go know ahead. what this case reminds me so much of? Kanika no. Jenkins. She She's someone that's been on my list since the day we started Women in Crime. She's my number one, and I never covered it. Why? Remember the one who went missing in the hotel? And yes. she was acting strange. Yes, I it, do. It sounds so similar. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't okay. put that connection Sorry. together. Continue. No, that's okay. So is this Chris? He's saying she's calling him Ryan, asking what apartment number he, he's in. Was he a viable suspect, though? Police had to wonder. No, he was quickly ruled out because he had a solid alibi showing that he was out of town when Prisma called him. So he was cleared almost immediately as a suspect. But there were still other suspects and avenues to pursue. In the course of the investigation, police learned that Prisma's Jeep Wrangler did not belong to her. And rather, it was owned by a married man with whom Prisma's relationship was unclear. This is a very odd element here, Amy, but certainly one that might be relevant. You see, she did have some type of relationship with this man. And sometime before she disappeared, there was an incident with her car. Supposedly, the wife did find out about Prisma seeing him. And there was an incident where her tires got slashed. And there was a, some kind of note left on the car saying, he's married, you B.I., you, know, you know, or whatever. And uh, that was somewhere right around Mother's Day, I believe it was. That's a viable suspect. Yeah, I asked Dan, was this couple investigated thoroughly? And Dan said he believed so, but the investigator on the case had been very hush-hush about the details. This was a theme. I asked Dan a lot of questions. He said that the investigator would not release a lot of details to him. Now, we've seen that happen, right? There's mm -hmm. reasons why. But it would seem that he's almost getting no information. And when I called the detective um, who was handling this case, it, it, it sounded like to me he had um, retired from investigations. His voicemail pointed me to another detective who was, had taken over his cases, and that's the detective with whom I left a message. But Amy, there's also another obvious suspect, no? The father of her son. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Prisma's son, Dominic's father, Arturo, would become a, another suspect. Mm -hmm. Arturo was cleared, though, as well, and it didn't seem like he had a motive at all to kill Prisma. They didn't have, like, really bad blood or anything, and he was cleared very quickly. So what happened to Prisma? There's a number of theories here, and we should go through these. I'm going to go through them and ask you mm -hmm. what you think about each of them. First is the obvious one. Somehow Ryan was involved in her disappearance following another heated argument that turned physical. I'm sorry, history of violence in their relationship? Yes. Remember okay. I told you that they had a, an assault for which she called the police? Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if that But was... she dropped the charges. Okay. So yes, there is a history mm -hmm. of violence. But there doesn't seem to be any evidence supporting uh, Ryan having done anything. You know... The fact that they had argued and that she was at his residence seems indicative of him, him being the suspect, but there's nothing beyond that. Why won't he talk to her father? I don't know, but he did talk to police, mm -hmm. and I believe the police even searched his home and car and didn't okay. find anything. So he cooperated. He's just not speaking with okay. Dan. Um, but that, I mean, it that seems like, right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, but it seems like he'd be the first and obvi most obvious suspect, mm -hmm. right? And again, if I spoke with the investigator, I would like to know, is it just a couple of people who vouch for him? Uh, cell phone records mm -hmm. don't mean everything because some people are smart enough, you know, yeah. to leave their cell phones or, or take their cell phones somewhere else to try to establish mm -hmm. an alibi. Okay, so that's theory number one. Next, there's a theory that Prisma was drugged at the restaurant and followed to be targeted for an abduction. This is what Dan believes. He believes that Prisma was drugged. And I asked him why, because she drank a lot, but he said... According to him, Prisma was someone who could always hold her mm -hmm. liquor. I don't know how many drinks. She had several, but he's like, he told me that he had seen her drink way more and be totally fine. She was one of those people. And he said he thought she was acting something other than drunk from alcohol. 
Other people who she spoke to said something similar. Like she sounded off, but maybe not drunk. But police looked at the surveillance video from the restaurant and it doesn't show any indication that her drink was drugged. It didn't capture her whole visit, though. Mm. It'd be easy for someone to slip something in her drink. Okay. It's a pos- I mean, it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. It might explain why um, the alcohol hit her harder. Yeah. Other irrational behavior. Um, you know, it, it might. It's, it's mm-hmm. one of those possibilities. Okay. Theory number three is that Prisma was being stalked and followed unbeknownst to her for some time. And someone was just waiting on this moment to capitalize on Prisma being alone and being in a vulnerable state. After after all this happened, speaking to uh, one of her co-workers, he had said that the reason why she had bought this, she told me she bought the handgun because she felt like, you know, she was a citizen. She could do that. So she wanted to do that for herself. But he told me that he had picked her up several times because she felt as if she was being followed. Whether where is the truth to that? I, I I can't say. All I can do is go by take the man at his word and say, you know, somebody that whenever he would go from a one bar, work at one bar to another bar, she would follow him to every bar he went to. So when her her dancing, she went from one bar where he was at, and then went to another bar that he went to, and then to another bar that he went. Then he went. So as he moved, she went right along with him, or well, kind of followed him. I, I should say not right along with him, but kind of followed him. And from what he is saying, that they they were very good friends. That's as far as it went between the two of them. They were just good friends. He's not a suspect, or he was cleared right away. Who's he? It was a friend who, it was really just a friend to her, who was kind of um, helpful and, again, escorted her places. But she's reporting feeling like she she felt like someone was following her. And now Dan thinks that she got that firearm because she was afraid. Mm-hmm. Well, she was in a an occupation where we... Do see stalkers. That's absolutely certain. She did work, you know, as a dancer part time. So it's possible that she even had a stalker from that job. Possible she had a stalker from another job. It's possible she had a stalker from, you know, her kid's school. Like there's Mm -hmm. any number of possibilities here. Did they ever talk to the woman in which she had the road rage incident? Yes. Police interviewed her, but Dan doesn't know what the outcome was. Okay. All they said was that she was, there was an incident. They pulled over. She waved a gun um, and they called the police. Okay. So... (laughs) They're also possible suspects. Mm-hmm. I said the same thing. Yeah. What happened with these women? Maybe mm-hmm. someone followed her. Yeah. Um, but apparently they were cooperative with the police as well. Okay, so another theory, fourth theory. Prisma was kidnapped from the parking garage by a random person with opportunity. I was going to say crime of opportunity. Okay, what do you think about this theory? It's too convenient. Yeah. I think it's also too opportune. This happens, but it'll happen, you know, in like a Walmart parking lot or yeah, it's just a, a random, public parking yeah. lot. This is a private parking garage. The implication that someone would somehow have gotten in here and would just be kind and of... And they just got, quote, lucky that they have an inebriated woman by herself. Yeah. So I think this... Very one, unlikely. I think this is unlikely as well. Okay. What about... Uh, Dan said that Prisma also worked on some cases as a paralegal that possibly may have placed her in danger because she may have known too much about certain illegal activities. You know, being she was involved with uh, lawyers or whatever, uh, maybe she found out some some dirt on somebody, and they said, well, we can't have this happen. This has got to go away. There's so many things that run through my mind every day on this that it, it, I, I drive myself crazy trying to think of what might have happened or why it happened. And it, 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 it gets to be very, very confusing. It just seems if she had beef with someone or someone had beef with her or someone was just stalking her, it just seems too convenient that she was so inebriated. 
It does. I agree. The convenience of that. And it was odd, especially during her work day. This was mm-hmm. out of character for her. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna ask, did she normally drink during the day? No. At work? This was out of character for her. The the whole day was out of character pretty much for her. You know, I have to say that I did some digging too. I was like curious about what was going on in the area. There were a number of young missing Hispanic women in that area around Dallas and Fort Worth. In fact, when I did the research, I found several sources that said Dallas and Fort Worth are major hubs for sex trafficking. So we can't discount this theory either, which might also accompany the theory that she was slipped something in her drink. Yeah, I, those would go well together. Hand in hand. Mm-hmm. One final theory is, and I don't think this one holds any water at all, but that Prisma, we hear this one a lot. Prisma, I know what you're going to say. She left on her own accord. Left on her own accord or or simply wandered off somewhere inebriated and something happened to her, an accident. Why would they not have found her body though? That's exactly what I thought. So I think we can discount that theory pretty quickly and just move on. Unfortunately, I'd like to add that Dan has to deal with another element to this. Scammers. Listen to this. I had scammers uh, a couple of weeks ago trying to tell me, oh, they know, you know, she's here and she's for sale for $10,000, da, 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 da. And then, but I was like, well, we have a reward. Well, I don't want the reward money. Just send me $3,000 through PayPal and then uh, I'll give you all the information. I'm like, no, it don't work that way. And then they sent me a picture. Here, here is a picture of her. And they, what they did is they took one of our pictures that are out there took it, turned it into black and white, and photoshopped it on the, and then posted it. Because the expression on the face and everything else is exactly the same as that photo. It's like a mirror image. And I'm like, no, 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 that doesn't work. And then, they're, then they were calling, well, you know, your son. I'm like, no, it's not my son. No, my daughter identified as a female. She's a girl, and she's definitely a woman, yes. You know, and I, I, you're confused, you know. I'm like, and they just kept trying to hammer on it and hammer on it. I'm like, no, this and I haven't heard nothing from it. And then for a while there, I was getting phone calls from a town in Mexico, south of Mexico City. And it started, you know, they were 730 at night. Nobody was saying nothing. And I said her name and I said her middle name. And then I spoke them in English. I spoke them in Spanish. And then I went by her stage name and just dead silence. They'd be on the phone for a minute. I could hear something in the background and all of a sudden the phone would hang up. Sometimes they would call eight, nine, ten times in a row. This is different than those scammers. I don't know what these calls are. I've got the phone number and everything. But the problem is with phones in Mexico, they're prepaid and there's no real records of who has the phone number. Because if you need a phone, you can get down to the store and buy a burner phone, buy a phone card. There you go. And I mean, it went on for like a week and a half, two weeks, maybe three weeks. And looking at the, when I, when I pulled up the town where it was at, I was looking around the area right there. And it's a kind of a cartel stronghold right in that area on the south side of Mexico, Mexico City. And, and she doesn't have no family that lives there. What do you make of these calls? I mean, the initial ones were scammers, right? It's absolutely, it still horrifies me what pe- what people will capitalize on. It reminds me of Amy Lynn Bradley. Remember yes. that case? It was awful. They they doctored photographs of her as well to get money from the family. It's horrendous. Yes, it's shocking the, the lengths that people will go to um, to capitalize on people, you know, people's grief yeah. in there. Oh. You know, aside from that, what do you make of the phone calls, though, from Mexico? A lot, lot of calls, he said. I mean, what are what are the possibilities? It's someone that has her. Wouldn't they try to get money? Like, what are they calling for? He kind of thought it might have mm-hmm. been her trying to call and not being able to get through or not being able to say anything or the phone so didn't what, work. So, sorry if I missed it, but someone would call and just not say anything? Right. I guess that's possible. Why can't they? Oh, because they tried. Did they? Did he give this information to the police? Absolutely. And they can't trace it or anything. I guess the phone call stopped. Yeah. 
I think it's certainly interesting. It's it's hard to know. These are, you know, th- there are so many unanswered questions here. And really, we just hope that the family gets some answers because they all want to know what happened to Prisma. And since Prisma went missing, her son Dominic lives with her mother, Lilia, but his father, his father, Arturo, is also very much present in his life now. Dan also gets to spend time with Dominic, who he affectionately refers to as his grandson. Mm. Dan has been very vocal, doing interviews um, and telling anyone who will listen Prisma's story. And he says he'll continue to do so until they find out where Prisma is. Uh, Dan's been on Nancy Grace and the Today Show, and he's been working with a private investigator as well. Prisma, as I said, was featured in People magazine. But you know what my question is? Where's the where's Keith Morrison? Where's the dateline? Where's the 48 hours? We need more national coverage of this case. I asked Dan what he hopes for, and what he told me is it's not really about him. I mean, there's a eight to nine year old little boy that wants to know what happened to his mom. And that's the biggest driver for me is not to find her for myself, not to find her for her mother, not to find her for her brothers or her sister. It's to find him find her for my grandson. So that way that little guy has closure to what has happened or you know that she's gone that way he'll know she's here or she's not you know that that way he doesn't have that question swimming around in his head saying well why did my mom leave me you know did i do something wrong or something like that which he'll talk about it but he he'll talk about it for about a minute and a half and then that's it he doesn't want to talk about it no more because he he stays very shut out about that look at this it's traumatic to adults Mm. imagine the trauma to someone's child You know, it's one thing to report on these cases, too. It's another to talk to family members Mm. and to hear how directly impacted they are. I can't imagine that there's anything worse than not knowing. You know what I mean? Like wondering all these different theories. You heard Dan say it. He racks his brain. He just can't imagine. And even though I don't think there's such a thing as closure, I think for him and maybe for, you know, others in the family, at least knowing what happened to Prisma might give them some sense of that. It sounds to me like he believes she is deceased. You know, I don't think he actually does. I think he's on the fence. I think he has days where he definitely believes she's gone and other days where he's like, no, she's still there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that Dan believes more that she was abducted, but I don't know that he believes she was murdered. And I asked Dan too, you know, what else can we do to help? How can we spread the word? What can people do? Keep talking about it. Keep it out there. Um, We do have a reward. It's available. It's an escrow with an attorney over in Dallas for any information leading to her return. They can contact the Mesquite Police Department directly. They can contact Where is Prisma Reyes on Facebook. Bring Prisma Home is another another, another one of the websites that are set up. We did a, a GoFundMe there for a little while. And it, it, it never really panned out to anything because all the billboards and flyers and everything that were put up, I took all that out of pocket. And then we seeded the, the reward ourselves, started, and that little GoFundMe brought the reward up some, but it, I think it was all shut down. I mean, so there's still a couple things that can be done, and certainly another GoFundMe could be started. Maybe hearing more about it will help. So the Facebook page is one of the places where I started and one of the places where I started corresponding with people who are definitely working on this case. I spoke with a few others who are doing some investigation, but right now there's just not a lot of leads. I'm really curious to know what's going on on the other side, the investigation that we're not hearing about. I hate to say this, but I think her ethnicity along with her occupation, unfortunately, we see this all too often. That I think if she was somebody else, then I think there would be more resources. I don't know what's happening behind the scenes, so I hate to say that, but 
It's what I suspect as well, yeah. but I hate to think yeah. that. We like to think that's not the case, but think about uh, Gabby Petito and where, you know, she was plastered all over the news 24-7 news coverage. Which led to a national discussion about how other women need those resources as well. Uh, women mm-hmm. who are, you know, have been traditionally ignored. Missing white woman syndrome. There was a, a wonderful article, I think it was in The Atlantic, talking about, you know, after Gabby Petito, it really started the conversation. I'm glad. I'm glad it really jogged the conversation because I feel like a lot of these, you know, cases will get attention now. When I say cases, I mean people mm-hmm. and all their family members. And how do they, you know, how do you process this and deal with it? I I, I wanted to know, I asked Dan, how are you now as of today, you know, over three years uh, since Prisma went missing? A lot of people have said the same thing. They don't know what it is about the case that, you know, they're, they, they get drawn into it, which is, it, it's it's great in a way. You know, it really is because that's shown interest out there and everything else. But I, I don't want people to have it consume their lives. You know, I mean, I'm directly involved in this and it consumes me, but I have to keep functioning with everything else. You know, it's it's hard. And here we are just we're about 10 days away from the three year anniversary where they're about, you know, the anniversary is coming up on on her disappearance, which, well, looking at the calendar, yeah, it's a week. It'll be a week tomorrow. Seven days from tomorrow would be the day she disappeared. I, and I've been thinking this since day one. This is part of a larger picture. Uh, you know, we did a, a records request, a case records request, with the, and it was turned down by the Attorney General of the state. Uh, they're being very, very hush-hush about everything on it, which I know it's an active case, and so they don't want to say anything. They don't want to show their cards. But on numerous occasions, which I used to talk to the detective on a regular basis, but, you know, now I'm speaking to him maybe twice a month, something like that sometimes. He always leads it down to, I just need that one key piece. I think he's got the whole jigsaw puzzle put together. He just needs that one piece to finish the picture. Yeah, I I do have hope that this case will be solved. The thing is, this case can be solved. And and so I kept thinking that. I'm like, there's so many different avenues. I have hope as well. Um, Dan's optimistic. You know, he says, uh, I know he can't, you know, the investigators can't show us all your cards. I'm sitting here screaming, show me your cards. Yeah. Just show me some of your cards. Yeah. Show me a direction. You know, show us something. How please. frustrating for the family. It is, but he's still, you know, he's optimistic. And I want to be optimistic too. So I wanted to share this case today again because I have hope and I want this case to be solved. I want Prisma to be found. So please, again, share this story, share the word, check out the videos. And we really want to thank Dan for speaking with us today. And thank you for listening. And hopefully together, some of us, all of us, one of us can help Prisma's family find her. And I look forward to hearing our listeners' theories about what they think might have happened. Maybe there's another avenue that no one's thought of yet. Absolutely. Thanks, Megan. All right, everyone. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on Women and Crime. Women and Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime.
Sources for today's episode include People.com, NBC News, Oxygen.com, and an interview with Dan Fuchs.